Welcome to the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast, show number 178, Finance Friday Edition, where we check in with Sarah Wilson, the budget girl, and talk finances and real estate investments. My basic plan above that was to save for the next property because I, I would like to keep buying myself more sources of income. That's really fun. Didn't know about that when I started all this, you know, mm-hmm. trying to pay off debt a few years ago. I really enjoy it. Hello, hello, hello. My name is Mindy Jensen. And with me, as always, is my calculator-loving co-host, Scott Trench. That about sums it up, Mindy. (laughs) Scott and I are here to make financial independence less scary, less just for somebody else, to introduce you to every money story, because we truly believe that financial freedom is attainable for everyone, no matter when or where you're starting. And today's episode proves us right. Whether you want to retire early and travel the world, go on to make big-time investments in assets like real estate, start your own business, or get out of the conservative mindset and start playing to win, we'll help you reach your financial goals and get money out of the way so you can launch yourself towards those dreams. Scott, today we welcome back Sarah Wilson, the budget girl, and we talk to her and catch up with what she's been doing and look at what she's doing with her finances. Remember when we had her back on episode six, she had just paid off $33,000 in student loan debt while making $30,000 a year. And that scarcity mindset has really affected her opinion of money, not opinion, her relationship with money which I find very fascinating. And now she finds herself in an enviable position, but she didn't realize it, I think, until she spoke with us. Yeah, this was a great episode. And, you know, I, I just can't wait to get to it because she's just so impressive. I said, it, you know, she started off in a really tough spot, $30,000 in debt, 30000 in income, paid it off, got to zero a few years ago when we last talked to her. And now she's built a significant net worth is house hacking. And I believe that she is very high probability going to become very wealthy very quickly in the next couple of years. And we had a fun discussion about how to maybe accelerate that today. I agree with you. She is very impressive and she is on her way to generating massive wealth. Before we bring in Sarah, let's talk about what my attorney makes me say. My attorney says the contents of this podcast are informational in nature and are not legal or tax advice, and neither Scott nor I nor Bigger Pockets is engaged in the provision of legal tax or any other advice. You should seek your own advice from professional advisors, including lawyers and accountants, regarding the legal, tax, and financial implications of any financial decision you contemplate. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that I turned one of my first homes into an Airbnb? It's true. And it even helped me get the extra income I needed to launch my real estate career. So if you want to try your hand at making even more income with your property, Airbnb is the place to be. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. When it comes to financial guidance, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When Mindy and I want to upgrade our wallets, we turn to NerdWallet. Scott's right. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, Mindy and I were paying for vacations in cash, missing out on miles, and not even knowing what we're leaving on the table. But now we're flying through the skies for free, thanks to our new cards with more miles and upgrades than ever. So if you want more travel rewards, hotel upgrades, or airport lounge access, no matter where you go next, let NerdWallet help you make it happen with a killer travel card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at NerdWallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms of each credit card issuer apply. 
You ever feel like your vacation rental sits empty too often? Missing out on potential income? Look, you're not alone. Many property owners struggle with underperforming bookings and the complexities of property management. But here's some good news. Vacasa outperforms other property managers in 92% of the markets they operate. They've helped homeowners like you increase their bookings by an average of 24%, turning those empty days into profitable opportunities. Want to see what your earnings could look like with Vacasa? Visit biggerpockets.com slash Vacasa, spelled V-A-C-A-S-A, and get a free personalized income estimate today. That's biggerpockets.com slash Vacasa. Today, we sit down with Sarah Wilson, Budget Girl, to review her finances. We first spoke with Sarah all the way back on episode six, and she shared her story of paying off $30,000 in student loan debts in three years while making $30,000 a year. Today, we're going to look at her overall financial picture and specifically at her recent rental property purchase. We'll review her numbers in the Bigger Pockets Rental Property Calculator. And for those of you listening when this episode airs, this weekend, March 12th through the 14th, 2021, is all you can analyze weekend on the Rental Property Calculator on BiggerPockets.com. This weekend only, March 12th through 14th, get unlimited access to our Rental Property Calculator and Property Insights. No limits, no credit cards, no commitment. Plus, Share your analysis in the forums for a chance to win a one-on-one mentorship with our Rookie Podcast co-hosts, Ashley Kerr and Tony Robinson. And if you share your analysis in the forums, you will get feedback from other community members on your analysis to tell you if you're crazy or not, which I think is very powerful. <laughs> Ooh, that is fantastic. Uh, I forgot about that part. Thanks, Scott. So, Sarah, welcome back to the show. I'm so excited to see you again. Thank you so much. I'm so thrilled to be here. Tell us what you've been up to the last three years. I can't believe it's been three years since I last spoke with you, like on yeah. online. I've spoken to you offline. Yeah. So last time I was on the show, I had just paid off $33,000 worth of student loan debt on an average $30,000 income. I started at 26. And since then, I have uh, saved a bunch of money. I now have an over $100,000 net worth, and I am the owner of a duplex. All Very right. freshly, 100000 air over here. Love it. Congratulations. That's (laughs) awesome. Thank you. (laughs) And if you haven't, and Mindy mentioned this earlier, but if you haven't already, go back and listen to episode six because it's just incredible. I mean, it's it's not the most debt we've heard paid off in the show, but it's the most debt we've paid off, had seen paid off in the shortest amount of time relative to the income level that you had. It's a truly remarkable and impressive feat. And no surprises that you're becoming wealthy a few years later with after after achieving that. Thank you. It is a it's a lot more fun to build up the wealth than to pay off the debt. I'll tell you that. And a lot faster too. That's mm-hmm. really fun. Yeah, now, now, watching that just grow. <laughs> compound interest is working for you rather than against you with that. Um so can you tell us a little bit about uh just to catch up on the money story before we get into the review. Could you give us a little bit of a catch up on the duplex potentially or any other highlights uh, of the journey of the last 3 years? Yes. So um, the duplex purchase, I actually have only had for 10 months. So I bought it right when the pandemic started. Um, <laughs> my, I was renting and I was saving up for a property because I knew I wanted to do multifamily. And I found the perfect place after shopping for a year, right as the world went to hell. So it came at, the, at a very good time because my rental apartment was actually going to increase $300 a month. And so I started really seriously thinking, like, if I find the deal that where the numbers work, let's go ahead and do this. So it was a $230,000 property in College Station, Texas, and it has three beds, two baths on each side, little backyard, little 
three parking spots for each unit. Very cute little thing in a little subdivision near the campus, the Texas A&M University campus, in the direction that the campus is growing. So I very much anticipate that that will increase in value. And it already has. It's actually already worth 250 after 10 months because I just refied. All right. I want to point out that somebody else on this call also purchased in the path of progress. And that would be Scott, not me, because we have different investment styles. But that is a really great thing that I think some people don't realize or take into account. If the path of progress is going north, you need to be looking north because those are where the properties are going to appreciate at a faster rate than the potential path of progress than outside the potential path of progress. And nothing's guaranteed, but Scott had a really great way to choose his property too. And it was smack in the path of progress. Yeah, parallel also, my property was worth $240,000. So very, very similar type of deal for us. And even our cabinets are the same. I saw on Instagram. Um, <laughs> yeah, the same exact cabinets that my, my property had. But let me ask you this, is your property located, when you say the path of progress, in the best area you could be living in right now if you were to purchase anywhere in in the uh, in a 30-mile radius? No, not even close. <laughs> but it's also not in the worst. Uh, it's in kind of a medium area. There's some older homes nearby, and there's also a, um, they just built like a Walmart and a shopping center there. And But more importantly, Texas A&M owns so much of the surrounding area and they keep building in that direction. And I mean, the university plans are on the website for free. You can go look at them and that like they're planning on growing in that direction. So I could be just like a spit from one of their like giant new enormous buildings in a couple of years. Awesome. And my understanding is you're house hacking this. Is that right? Yes. So I'm renting out side A. I actually... Originally, I inherited a HUD tenant who was paying $10.50 a month. Her lease ended at the end of February. I am doing some fix-ups on the project this month in March, and I have a new tenant moving in in April at $12.50 a month. Awesome. And, and I understand that you're crowdsourcing feedback on your remodel on Instagram. So you can follow her at GoBudgetGirl. And she really wants more opinions on how what color she should paint the kitchen cabinets <laughs> in the second unit. Is that right? Oh, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> um, and the other part to the house hacking, of course, is I actually, so I have renters on A, I live in B, but my boyfriend also lives with me and I charge him $500 a month in rent because I'm nobody's sugar mama. All right. I was, I was going to say, that's, how did that That's still a deal go? for him now. That's still a good deal for it him, is. right? That's it less is. than the other half, the other side. So like, it's a three bedroom unit. So we both have an office and we share a bedroom. He has a lease that I wrote for him and we both signed with, you know, contingencies for things that might happen. He didn't have a deposit. He doesn't have pet rent. Uh, and uh, he essentially gets way more space than uh, he would anywhere else in town for that price. And due to that, he's helping me with the A unit right now. <laughs> he was mopping yesterday while I was at work. <laughs> All right. Perfect. It works out. But I'm yeah. glad that there's that conversation. And what's your mortgage payment on this? Uh, it was originally just under $1,700 a month. So I was paying $150 a month out of pocket, and but I just refied and I was able to go down almost a whole point. So my new mortgage is going to be $1,564, so just under $1,600. So I'm going to be making $100 a month. That's fantastic. Woo-hoo! And so why did you refi generally? Was it, was it because of the um, 
interest mostly, or was there like PMI that you're able to shed or, or how, what, what were some of the things around that? Unfortunately, I wasn't able to shed PMI quite yet, but I saw that interest rates were dropping. I was pleased with my rate. I got a 3.65 right around the time that everything was going down and then it bumped up a little bit and I did an FHA loan. So I only put 3.5% down, even though the property had appraised for 10 grand more than I paid. And even though it's now worth 10 grand more than that, I'm still not quite to the level where I can shave off the PMI, but that's $150 a month. And I find that to be worth it. Are you still with a conventional loan? No, or an FHA, FHA loan. Yeah, FHA. and I was able to do an FHA streamline refi, um, which I just found by kind of looking into any refinance options. It cost me $0 to refinance, and it shaved $150 off of my interest payment. $50 of what used to be my interest payment is now going to the principal, and my escrow and taxes and PMI all stay the same. But overall, my loan went down $100 and $50 more is going to principal each month because I refied. I went from 3.65 to 2.75. Awesome. And so so just a slight, slight tangent here. We had a, a guest on recently who talked about some of the drawbacks of FHA being the appraisers can be real sticklers, which can make some sellers not want to sell to you if you have an FHA loan. We talked about how the FHA loan comes with that PMI, how you have to refinance out of it. This is an interesting tidbit that actually makes the FHA loan look a bit more favorable than I had thought coming into this call. I did not know this before that, um, but it looks like there are some really cool options to continuously refi the FHA loan if interest rates drop that you were able to take advantage of with very low cost. That's fantastic. Did not know that. Yeah, the FHA Streamline program essentially took some of the costs of it. I didn't have to do an appraisal or pay for that. And then the uh, lender costs were pretty much absorbed into that as well. So it it was really great. It would have been stupid not to do it. <laughs> yeah, that is a... I haven't had an FHA loan for a few houses, but that is a really interesting program. People ask, is the FHA Streamline refinance worth it? While it may sound too good to be true, the FHA Streamline is a perfectly legit refinance program backed by the FHA. It can offer a simplified, low-doc application process and below market rates, but you have to be a qualified homeowner with a current FHA loan to use this program. That could be the difference between getting a conventional or an FHA. Very interesting. And I bet you one additional trade-off with this is that um, you're probably committing for at least another year to living in the property. Um, I imagine with it. Actually, there were no qualifiers for that. I kept asking lenders. There was no original qualifier for the first FHA loan and there's no for the refi either. So I I checked and double checked because a year from now I might be in a different property potentially. That's a powerful tool then that, that I think opens FHA back to folks listening as a potential consideration for your first or second house hack with this. That's awesome. That's very interesting. Thank you for sharing that. I learned, yeah. I'm learning a lot here with this. Okay. So we've got a, a, a good house hack underway. Let's get into the the finance review with this kind of stuff. Since we've already got the the, the duplex, which looks like it has, you know, how, how much equity do we have in that duplex? Maybe we could start with that. You know, I'd have that number if you didn't tell me. Current loan amount's 221 and it's worth 250, though I'd have to get like an official appraisal to double check that. But that is what the internal systems that the new mortgage lender appraised it at. Okay, great. So we've got about 30K there. Where else do you are you building wealth right now? So I have a teacher's retirement savings account or retirement system. I work at Texas A&M. I'm not a teacher, but because I work here, I get to use that. And that has about 15K in it. Uh, they have a really wonderful match program for my, my day job. 
So uh, I put in 7.7% and they match it to 7.5. And I have a Roth IRA with about 13 grand in it and a an old IRA for about 10 grand. And then I have about three grand in a just regular brokerage account. I am working on increasing investing right now, but I wanted to save for the house and then have kind of stock up some savings as well, just in case first. (laughs) Don't make apologies. You are doing fabulously. Don't make apologies. Sorry, did, did I missed one part of that. Do you do you have cash savings right now, or is that really your three thousand and the after tax account? I have forty four thousand dollars in cash. Oh, well, that is a great great position. So you have a lot of options to with that with that. <laughs> yeah, we'll talk about that. <laughs> does, when you say cash, does that mean sitting in a bank account earning point zero one percent interest cash, um, or I mean, it's in high yield savings accounts. But yeah, point two. It, <laughs> Okay. Okay. Well, that's that's still good. It's it's easily liquidatable, but not currently invested. So if you're going to be using that soon, you don't want it to be currently invested in anything that could be rather volatile. How does it feel to have more liquid cash than you had debt a few years ago? It feels really wonderful. I consider it my little goblin hoard, and I just like to go look at it sometimes because coming from the place where I was, where I started on my journey unemployed, in 33K worth of debt, not knowing how I was going to pay my rent or feed myself, that feels like a security blanket. And it feels like a box of options in case anything bad happens. That's fantastic. Yeah, I, I can't argue with that at all. And that's that's a solid emergency reserve. Is that going to be like a year or two of, of expenses? Or what does that equate to you? Uh, the breakdown is $10,000 in a personal emergency fund, $10,000 in an emergency fund just for the duplex, about nine k in sinking funds, which I am starting to think maybe that money might be better invested. And uh, I keep about five grand in my personal checking account and in my property checking account where rent comes in and out and for regular expenses. I think that's really smart. I like that a lot. We'll, we'll, we'll revisit that, I'm sure, in a little bit. But I think that that's actually, there's a lot of, I think that's really good. That's incredible. And that's just a testament to another several years of great hustle and discipline, I'm sure, is what, what has contributed to that. Okay, let's talk income. I make $50,000 a year now at Texas A&M. I've uh, been blessed to get several raises since I've been here. And I make about three to five grand a month off of my budget girl business. So that's uh, YouTube, AdSense, website ads, sponsorships, affiliates, et cetera. Last year, I made $35,000 off of budget girl, which was my best year yet. And I grossed about 25. This year, I have plans to make at least $50,000 with it. So you could be living off of your budget girl salary and investing and saving your day job salary, right? I've been kind of doing the opposite uh, for the past several years. I've been living off of my day job salary. And uh, well, I was saving and investing 40% of that, but now the mortgage is in there, but I also make money off of the mortgage now. So it gets a a little muddied, but I've been uh, living off my day job income. And then since Budget Girl's a little bit more flex, I save from that towards whatever my next money goal is. Okay. Well, this is this is awesome. So, so we're looking at about seventy five k in net income per year right now, and that's expanding rapidly. Maybe increase this year, and no cost of housing. 
Right. And that's not including, you know, the rental income, which, yes, for the most part is just uh, going to the mortgage. But the uh, I made $18,480 off of that in 2020 and anticipated income for this year will be 22, just under 23. So. That's phenomenal. So for our purposes today, I think it would be good to just think of that as a wash um, where, yeah. where your, your housing <laughs> is effectively <laughs> zero and and that you've got 75K in income disposable, but no housing expense. So that should go really, really far, which is really exciting on that. So what, what, what about the expense side? So my expenses are about five grand a month, including the mortgage. So about three grand a month, realistically. And, uh, 15% of that five goes to investings and 20 goes to savings. You're sending 750 bucks a month to your investments and you're spent, you're sending a thousand dollars a month to your savings account, your various savings account. And you're considering that spending. Yes. I love that you consider that spending. <laughs> That's how my budget breaks down. I actually show my budget every single month on YouTube. So it might be easier to like see it in practice. It might be a little funky. No one ever taught me how to do this. I just kind of figured out what worked for me in my brain. I was just going to say, does it work for you? Yeah. Yeah. And then any extra I make on top of that, I'm able to sort out. So any business income I make each month, I do the income expenses for that, save a portion for taxes, and then maybe save a little bit for future expenses and then apply the rest of that to whatever I want and subtract any additional like housing expenses for the property. So I heard 3200 a month in spending after the mortgage payment. Yes. And 750 plus 1750 of that 3200 is going to investing or saving. So you're effectively living off of 1250, is that is that correct? Outside of the housing payment? I just brought my budget up. So before savings and investings, uh total expenses including the $1700 mortgage are 3347. So 70% of my 5K take-home, 930 goes to savings each month. About 550 goes to investments. Uh, the rest is electricity, groceries, some personal spending, clothing. Uh, Kindle Unlimited is important. So you live off of $1,600 a month at this point. That, that's how I would, how I, how I'm reading it. <laughs> is, that, is, that, is that math right? I, I don't like, maybe I should do crunch these numbers more often. I just convinced my, yeah, that's 1600. That's a realistic <laughs> that number with no housing expense, right? That probably feels pretty good. It like feels like you have a plenty on the, on the zero housing expense. Oh yeah. That's living large for me. When I started this journey, I was making $1,600 a month and you know, 500 plus of that was going to debt. So that's awesome. Wow. That's <laughs> a great quote. I had to do the math. <laughs> Now, so, oh, now you're spending a hundred percent of your income from seven years ago. So yeah. you're really, you're really spending too much. And we're gonna have to spend the rest of the call there um, attacking, <laughs> attacking that. I think is gonna be the uh, the advice. <laughs> yeah. I mean, honestly, like I just went over to my budget and I'm like, ah, I mean, I've got three hundred dollars a month for personal spending, one hundred and fifty dollars a month for restaurant, three hundred for grocery, sixty bucks for clothing. Like that is more than I need, and I don't normally spend all that each month, and that's out of that sixteen hundred. So I'm living large. What do you do with the extras? Uh, that goes, everything rolls down to what's left over. So anything that I don't spend in my budget combines with any additional income that I got that I didn't have to expense for. And that goes to my big honking money goal. 
What is your big honking money goal? Right now, it's the next property. Okay. So sometimes it's, right. you know, 1000 to $5,000 in a month that I'll be able to throw at that. So, yeah, let's talk about that then. I, I think you have a phenomenal cash accumulation rate relative to your situation. It's fantastic. Um, I think best, best we might have heard ever on the show with this. And then I think that you've got a, um, a very good, I think you have a really good match. It sounds like you're taking all of that and maximizing that. I'd be interested to hear if Mindy has some thoughts on the retirement accounts piece specifically. I think that there's some optimization with you being a teacher that we could play with. And then I think the rest of the meat of the discussion after that will be on the next investment piece and put yourself in position for that. I think you're very close. You're, you're capitalizing very intelligently from what I can see so far. So, Yeah. The first thing that I thought of when I saw your numbers, and I do get these numbers in advance. I don't just get these numbers right here and you know try and figure this all out. I get them in advance. And I said, oh, TRS is teacher's retirement system. That's great. I didn't realize you were a teacher. Do you have a 457 plan? And your response was, uh, you know, I don't know. Let me go look into it. And you looked into it. And not only do you have the TRS, which I am assuming is the same uh, contribution limits as a 401k or a 403b, the 19,500 every year. I think so. I'm not sure. I just okay. put in the max that they allow me to and then get to get that match. Okay. Oh, they only allow you to put in 7.9 or whatever your number was. I can't swear to that, but they make you put in 7.7 to get the match. So that's what I did. <laughs> okay. Okay. So the 403B and the 457 plan, it, do you have to take the TRS or the 403B or can you do both? I checked it. I can do it in addition to up to 19,500. Uh, up to 19,500 across both. Like a total of 19,500 across both? No, I think it was an addition to. I um I looked at, oh. you mentioned it earlier and I looked it up. I was like I've, I've literally never heard of the 457 before or <laughs> so I had to look up do I have this and I got to the benefits book and there were two optional plans that I could put an additional 19,500 into. Okay. The TRS you are maxing out, great. The four hundred three. She's not maxing it out. She's taking the maximum match, right? Taking the maximum match. Oh, oh, that's an important consideration. We have a high level strategy issue here because she's taking the match, but she's also house hacking with a phenomenal ROI, which I think we have to discuss. And that the next investment repeating that might have a tremendously higher ROI than the pre-tax savings that she would get from maxing out one of these other options. And so that's going to be an interesting strategic discussion because she's got good income and good savings, but she can't max out both of those accounts and buy more property at the same time in the short run, right? So that's going to be fun. I don't know what the right answer is there. I don't know what the right answer is either. And we are not giving advice. We are making suggestions for Sarah to look into. This is for entertainment purposes only. (laughs) However, our friend, the millionaire educator, wrote a fantastic article on the 457 plan. It's called Seven Reasons to Love Your 457. And I will include a link to that in the show notes. It's also in the show notes for the millionaire educator episode, but I can't remember what that is off the top of my head. I'm failing in my old age. The 457 plan basically is the same as the 401k, 403b, where you've got the 19,500 contribution limits. But when you separate from service, 
you can take all of that money out of the 457 plan penalty-free, not tax-free, but penalty-free. So you can pay no taxes now, kick that down the road until you want it out, but that's a great way to save and invest as well. It's an like an additional option. So if you've just got a thousand to five thousand dollars a month sitting around looking for a home, that could be a good idea. Do you have plans to separate from service or do you enjoy your job? I really like my job. And they treat okay. me really well here. Much better oh. than journalism. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So maybe separation of service isn't such a something that you want to consider. Although I like the 457 plan more than the 403B. The 403B and the 401k are kind of the same, but different, but the same. But the 457, should you decide down the road that this is not the place that you love, you know, you can get that money penalty-free. Whereas with the 403B, I'm almost positive you would have to pay a penalty to remove that money. Does the 403B come with the match and the 457 not come with the match? I wouldn't get a match for either of those. That's just an additional... option for me not to pay taxes on that money. So you're getting a match in a third thing called the TRS. Is that right? Yeah. The TRS is where I get my match. And that's the preferred savings plan that has my retirement benefits in it. My 457 is an option for me to put X amount of dollars in pre-tax and for it to grow from that. But I had never really thought of it because I didn't know about it. I figured I would maybe dunk more money into just regular index fund investing at some point because you can get that out. I'm trying to figure out if that would just, if that would be better than the tax thing or what? I do think it's important to have both pre-tax and post-tax investments. As you start getting into a new tax bracket, it could make sense to contribute to the 457 just to bump you back down mm-hmm. to the previous tax bracket. It's a lot of things to consider And you don't know about the 457 plan until somebody tells you about it. And you're like, wow, that's amazing. Jamila Sufrant told us. And I was like, holy cow, I can't believe that exists. I want to go work in public service. Not really. I am maxing out my Roth. Yes, I love that. Would it be better, do you think, to put that money in the 457 or the Roth? No, the Roth. Roth. Yeah. So this would be above that. (laughs) Yeah, I think think these other options now that I'm – here's what I see when I'm taking a look and digesting your position, I'm seeing someone who is highly disciplined, has complete control of of spending, is expanding income steadily and rapidly now in a geometric fashion, and your monthly saving average is continually increasing. And I see intent to invest in ridiculously high ROI house hack real estate on the horizon. And you just can't do that in the retirement accounts, the 457s and those types of things. And so I think the Roth is great and the employer match is great in the TRS. And that's it. That's all I did in similar circumstances. And I think, yeah, you can lose if you do it that way, but the odds on that are just so much higher in building wealth. If you kind of stay focused on the, on the real estate path, I think in this particular case in the short run, in two years, what's going to happen is you're going to be so rich and have so much income coming in because you're continuing to expand that and cash flow that you're going to be able to do more of the above. And that's when the retirement account contributions and the 457 contributions and those types of things can probably continue to scale up. But I, I like the what you're doing right now. And I don't know if I would be putting way more in the retirement accounts. I think it's a, gr- a sound strategy. And again, you're taking leverage and taking risk, but I think it's it's 
it's the right bet, even if it does depending, even though who knows what the market will do over the next couple of years. So one thing you said, Scott, was rapidly accelerating income. I believe that the single taxpayer income limit is $135,000 to still be able to contribute to the Roth. I love the Roth at your age. You're very young. You have all this time to grow tax-free wealth. So Mm -hmm. I would continue to max out the Roth. Of course, get the free money with the match and then max out the Roth. And then as you hit up on this, oh, I can't contribute to the Roth anymore, throw as much money as you need to in the 457 plan so you can continue to contribute to the Roth as long as that's an option. And again, just a suggestion, but now that you know about the 457 plan and the 403B plan, you can go and do research and make sure that all of the stuff that I'm guessing at is actually true. I think- I think it's pretty close to true. And if you need the money in the Roth, you just take it back out, right? So that's not the issue if you need it for for real estate purposes, so. I did do the math and currently including the match, which vests after a year, so I pretty much have it. A year? Yeah. I was was all up in my benefit system this morning when you sent me that email. (laughs) I didn't realize that. I figured it was three years and I've been here three years. So I'm currently including their match investing $13,636.68 a year between TRS and my Roth, which seems like a decent amount to me for uh, hopefully longer-term wealth building. Well, yeah. the, the return on the TRS stuff is going to be like the 10% market average or whatever whatever you whatever your assumption there is plus 100% with the match um, yeah. on that, you know, as long as it as long as you stay there and invests into it. The return on the Roth is going to be way lower than that. It's going to be whatever the, the average long-term return is going to be on the, the index stuff, but it's growing tax-free. So it's fantastic with that. I want to get, talk about your ROI on the duplex as well, because that'll be a fun <laughs> one. Um, yeah. Once I move out of there and rent both sides, I should be making seven dollars to $800 a month off the unit above all expenses. So that'll be fun. And finding a duplex that you can live in for free and make $100 a month plus your 700 or 800 on the other side. That's... Here's what's going on in that duplex is previously, how much were you paying in rent? Uh, 665 a month. So I had a pretty good deal. Now you're paying zero effectively, right? Or, or maybe a hundred bucks a month. You could say you're paying a hundred bucks a month if you covered utilities and maintenance and all that kind of stuff. I don't know, making that up, right? So you're saving six to seven grand a year. And how, how much did you put down? Eight thousand five hundred. All right, you put down eight eight thousand five hundred. Let's say you're making seven thousand dollars a year in rent savings that you wouldn't be having. That is absolutely ROI attributable to your duplex. You are paying down. You're amortizing that loan probably at like three grand a year. Is that probably in the ballpark? Yeah, because it's very early in the loan too, so interest is kind of high. Yeah. So great. So now now we're at ten grand in ROI. Your property has appreciated by what ten ten grand. It was appraised at 240 when I bought it, and I bought it for 230, and now it's worth 250, so 20 actually. Great. So you've you've made 20 grand in appreciation. So that's a thirty thousand dollar gain, effectively, in the first 10 months. It sounds like. Yeah, I'm rounding on a couple of these on an 8,500. That's a that's a 340% ROI, right? And so that is, and that's not outrageous. Right, I mean, if, maybe maybe not everyone can buy a property that appra- that's for ten thousand less than it appraises for. So someone had some real guts to buy this property and follow through during the COVID 
whole deal. And so, I was really scared. <laughs> yeah. So, so you know, you, you deserve every bit of that, right? <laughs> uh, given the terror that you must have gone through and, and making betting the farm on this property at that moment in time, right? And so, congratulations. That's why I did the FHA instead of a conventional. I had almost pretty much enough saved to do a conventional, but I was. I wanted to hold back some money in case the world burned. <laughs> yeah, makes perfect sense. So that's 340% ROI on this property. And you're not getting that in your other property. And I think on average, you could expect, hey, that property wouldn't have gone from 230 to 250 in one year, but maybe it goes from 230 to 238 in a year, right? That would be a more average and reasonable assumption. So in that case, it would have been eight grand plus 10 grand, which would have been a 200-ish percent return. So regardless of whether you're taking the great return of the market that we got last year or an average situation, that's just so much better than the alternatives that it's not even close, right? And, and what do you guys think? Am I, you know, there's closing costs, so we can factor those in and talk through it. But but what, where, do you, where do you think I am generally with this analysis? So just, just one fun fact that I found out after I bought the place, because it's uh, there's like an area of all identical duplexes. I made friends with the lady across the way. She told me how much her parents paid for that unit 10 years ago, and they just sold it again. And I, I did the math. So actually, the, the houses in that area appreciate nine grand a year. Nine grand a year. Nice. Mm-hmm. And that's wow. probably like 4% a year, four and a half, something, something like that. Something like that. Yeah, so that's fantastic with that. And it sounds like you have done, you didn't just buy willy-nilly in the area you found and you, you feel comfortable with the area and know where the path of progress is and where you think odds are the appreciation is going to flow in the next couple of years. Is that right? Yeah, I shopped for a year. I saw maybe 13 or 14 multifamily properties and I, I know the area really well. So I definitely did my research and drove a real estate agent nearly crazy. So. <laughs> now- let me let me throw one additional thing in into the mix here. You also have a business that you're running, and you said you bring in thirty three or thirty. How much did you bring in from the business gross last year? Thirty five. This year, I'll probably make fifty. And you said your net was twenty two. Uh, there were about ten k in expenses, so twenty five. Yeah, so you're investing ten k in the business. You're probably going to think of that because it's probably all cogs, you know, cost of goods sold or cost of revenue, perhaps. But you're investing ten k in that business and generating a three hundred percent return on that as well. So you have some phenomenal investment approaches here going on across your, your portfolio. I'm having fun with this. This is, this is great. Co- compliment <laughs> well, to you. Yeah, <laughs> let's do it. And and I discount the uh, office space on my taxes, of course, in my home for home office. There you go. <laughs> Absolutely. That. So you have two phenomenal investments here that are just way, way, way better than your index funds or retirement accounts. And I want to point this out because there's probably other people in your shoes who are also intelligent, driven, charismatic, capable people who are in this expansionary phase in their career. And I believe aggressively, arrogantly for for myself, that it's far better to bet on myself and keep that cash available the way you're doing than it would be to stick it in a a long-term average investment profile in this situation. What's your reaction to that? I like that I can keep my cash hoard. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm, I'm just kidding. I, uh, I mean, that's kind of what I'm thinking. And especially when I was thinking about retirement, I, I didn't max out my Roth last year. I was, uh, I just wanted to put more towards the house and everything like that. And this year I decided to max that out. And then my basic plan above that was to save for the next property because I, I would like to keep buying myself more sources of income. That's really fun. Didn't know about that when I started all this, you know, mm-hmm. trying to pay off debt a few years ago. I really enjoy it. 
This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that a long time ago, before I ever started my real estate business, I turned one of my first primary residences into an Airbnb? And that's the extra income that I needed from Airbnb that gave me the confidence to go out and work for myself and eventually quit my nine to five job. And now I have dozens of Airbnbs all over the country. I've even partnered up with the old David Green on a recent property in Scottsdale to take our portfolio to the next level. And of course, we host it on Airbnb. But you don't need to be a full-time real estate investor to start on Airbnb. As a matter of fact, I was self-managing 10 properties while working my 9-to-5 job, so I know anybody can do it. Think about it this way. You're looking for extra income and going on a vacation. Wouldn't it be great to rent out your space and let your property pay for itself while you're gone? I did this one time. I pitched my wife and my roommate because we were house hacking on the idea of renting out our home, and it paid for all of our expenses on a trip to Mexico City. So go and give it a try. It might just change your life just like it did mine. And I really do mean that. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Saving for a down payment, a wedding, or just looking for extra money to invest? Monarch Money turns your budgeting woes into wins. That's why the Wall Street Journal named it the best budgeting app overall. Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash pockets. Monarch's simple, intuitive design makes it easy to manage your money like a pro. Add a partner or family member to your account for no extra cost, so combined finances become a breeze. Customize your budgets and notifications, set up automatic rules for transactions, and more. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash pockets. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash pockets for your extended 30-day free trial. What if I told you that I, Mindy Jensen, the queen of budgeting, the personal finance fanatic, sometimes forgot to cancel my subscriptions? I know, it's horrible. $10 here, $15 there. My useless subscription bills could have taken my whole family out to dinner multiple times. Rocket Money can make all that subscription sadness suddenly vanish. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. You can see all your subscriptions in one place and cancel money-sucking subscriptions with a tap. They'll even try to get you a refund for the last couple of months of wasted money and negotiate to lower your bills for you. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over $500 million in canceled subscriptions. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash bpmoney. That's rocketmoney.com slash bpmoney. Rocketmoney.com slash bpmoney. I'm curious, have you been struggling to keep your vacation rental booked? I totally get it. It's tough to manage and keep filled. But we found something that really works. It's called Vacasa. They've seriously changed the game for a lot of the BP audience. In almost every market they're in, Vacasa manages to fill up the calendar more than anyone else. And get this, the average Vacasa user sees about 24% more bookings than with other managers. That's a lot of extra income. Curious to see what you could be earning? You can get a personalized income estimate right there. I think you'll be pleasantly surprised at what Vacasa can do for you. Check out biggerpockets.com slash Vacasa, spelled V-A-C-A-S-A. Biggerpockets.com slash Vacasa.
Great. So, so I guess, what's your next plans? What what are you intending to do? You're you're probably not intending to to sit on your cash hoard indefinitely. Like, what what are the what's the strategy right now? Well, right now I have about three grand saved for the next property, so I'm uh, working from there, and I'll I'll save it for the next one. I know I can't get another FHA while I have one, so I'll have to save up a little bit more for the next place. I've also considered uh, getting a little bit of land in the area and plopping like some little tiny houses for. Airbnbs on it. I'm very interested in that avenue mm. right next to a college. Can easily book out stuff for all the game day weekends. I think mm. that could be an even higher ROI than long term rentals. I'd love to get in the short term rental market, but I'm trying to do it smart and slow. Let me ask you this you have 44 in cash, but you only have three grand saved up in the rental property. Let's go through those again because I believe you have an overwhelmingly conservative position. And I'd love to know how you're thinking. Specific. I think your 10K for the property reserve is fantastic. That's a fantastic minimum. Maybe even beef that up a little bit. I think your personal expense reserve is maybe good as well, but I'm interested in the other kind of half of that, the extra 25 grand that's sitting there and what, what the thought behind that is. Okay. So <laughs> I started doing some sinking funds when I was getting out of debt for obvious reasons, it really helped uh, to break down annual or semi-annual expenses into smaller portions, and I paid off those each month. And I just kind of kept at them after. So I have uh, about fifteen hundred in a travel fund, six hundred bucks in a car insurance that's billed annually. So that's just me saving money by paying every six months. Seven hundred and seventy-nine dollars in a car repair or replace fund in case anything happens to the car, $273 in a pet fund, 800 bucks in a Christmas fund, 400 bucks in a medical fund, and about three grand in a uh, YouTube tax savings fund. So that comes out to 11 grand in sinking fund savings that I'm just kind of sitting on. Some of those funds I wouldn't touch. The car insurance, the YouTube tax, I didn't get a chance to start typing them all down as you were reading them off, but the one for travel... Are you going anywhere in the foreseeable future? I mean, we're in the middle of COVID. Do you have a like a big trip that you're saving for? You know, oh, in 2022, I'm going to go to Australia or something. Or is that just a place that you put money? It's $100 a month that has grown a lot because I haven't traveled in so long. <laughs> <laughs> so that's why that's so high. Um, usually I use that for, you know, maybe I'll go visit a friend once a year or FinCon expenses kind of thing. Though I guess I could take that out of my YouTube earnings. I would definitely. Mm -hmm. That's a business expense. So what about, what kind of car do you have? You have almost $1,000 in car repairs. And yes, car repairs are expensive, but what kind of car do you have? I drive a uh, 2016 Nissan Versa Note that is a salvage vehicle that I bought for five grand cash. Ah, okay. And it's in excellent condition. Drives like new. You are it a legend. It has a backup camera. Oh, thank <laughs> you. <laughs> it has a backup camera and like clicky locks and my, I can play music on my phone through the car, which is the, it's, it's like I have a limo. Or like a private plane. <laughs> like I, when I was paying off debt, I drove a '97 Tracker without air conditioning in Louisiana. So <gasps> I had a no air conditioning car too. That's <laughs> that's where the true sacrifice comes. <laughs> yeah, I've never had that. I've been. I'm a. Uh, I am spoiled. Snob. Uh, that's um, okay. Privilege. My Corolla has great air conditioning. So. <laughs> 
So what I'm what I'm trying to get at is I see a lot of money that you maybe I don't want to say could borrow from, but you could borrow from it if the right property popped up on the market and you wanted to hop on it. And I'm wondering if you're continuing to watch the market because you want to buy another property, you could, it's been 10 months since you originally bought. And I'm really surprised that your documents don't say you have to live in it for a year. I would definitely encourage you to go back and read that one more time. But if it says it, if it doesn't say it, it doesn't say it. But for the purposes of the advice that we're giving in general, most mortgages will say you have to live in it for a year if you say you're going to be an owner-occupant. So let's say in two months, you're available to go and buy a new property. If you are finding something now, you could just write the deal to close in 60 days. Are you keeping track of it? And if not, why not? I'm sorry, not keeping track, uh, watching the marketing and looking at properties. Yes, constantly. It's my favorite hobby. Uh, In fact, I went and toured a uh, $60,000 A-frame from the 1930s the other week, but it, oh, it needed a lot of work, but oh, I love an A-frame. Yeah, that's a $50,000 roof job. But the roof that's... is fine, but there were there were other things. There were other things that would probably cost that much. I just want to chime in here with, with a couple of things about the cash position in general, right? So I think you need to reframe how you think about your cash would be my advice for you. And there's two options, I think. And, and here's how I, I, I would think of, here's my personal life. I need a certain amount of cash. You've proven that you're extraordinarily disciplined with your budget and your spending with this. So you are in good shape for that. And I'd, I'd consider potentially pulling that and saying, okay, all these different accounts, what's just one number that I'm comfortable with? Is it 15 grand? Is it 20 grand? Is it 25? You know, and once I pass that number, how much do I need for my personal life? Second, how much do I need for my rental property business of one, perhaps more to come soon. How much do I need right now? And how much do I need after the next acquisition? Do I need to bump that up from 10 to to 20 or whatever it is to feel good about that? And third, you have a business, a real business with Budget Girl and and that's producing income. And that also needs cash to be capitalized. And so you have two options, I think, at the highest level that would potentially simplify your cash position and allow you some more flexibility to harness more of that right now. One, and you don't have to take any of this advice. Your, your approach is working really well, and it'll just it'll just be a few more months before you have the cash built up for the next property. Um, if you don't, if you don't do that, but I, so there's nothing. This is a directional thing. But one option is to fund each of those things separately, and the second is to say, you know what, I'm just going to aggregate one giant pool of capital and use that to deep reserve for all three of those funds, and everything above that I can then spend on the next investment or whatever it is. But I think if you could simplify that, you might be able to free up 10, 15 grand right now if you zero-based it and said, here's what I need for personal, here's what I need for this, here's what I need for that. Do I want to have those each living within those entities or separate accounts, or do I want a giant pool of capital? And then, great, all the proceeds now that come from those different sources go straight into the, the next rental pool after my investment, after all the good habits you got right now with the Roth and the, the other investments. Any reaction to that? What's your thoughts on that? I've been thinking about it for a little bit. To be honest, I mean, I started these sinking funds when I couldn't cash flow expenses like these in a month. Realistically, I could cash flow any of these expenses in a month now. So it would make sense for me to maybe cut down some of those. You know, I'll keep saving for taxes. I'll keep saving for, you know, annual car insurance. But 
realistically, it might make more sense to pull on those. And I have thought about what Mindy said, you know, if the perfect deal came up, would I rob those funds? Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I might be thinking with kind of a scarcity mindset on those where I have this much is in a pocket, especially for this, when that fund comes up, when it, in reality, I could, I could just pay for it out of that month if I needed to. So I could probably take at least five grand out of that and be fine. I don't know if I'd want to, uh, just have like an emergency fund that I tapped anytime I needed. Maybe that's a mental break, but maybe an emergency fund and then like a little operating or something, or maybe not. I don't know. But you, you, you've got a, like, a ridiculously conservative position, which is great because you've got like 15, <laughs> 16 months of cash on hand, right? And that's inclusive of your mortgage payment. That assumes no, no offsets to that comes in. If you don't include your mortgage and all that kind of stuff, you've got what, like, Three years, close to three years of, of 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 cash on hand. So, and compounding that extraordinary conservative cash position, you also have a ridiculously high savings rate, right? Again, if we ex- if we net out the housing and all that kind of stuff, you're bringing in seventy five a year, and you're only spending twenty, <laughs> right? Uh, and now, now there's taxes, so we'll bump <laughs> it down a little bit. But you're you're bringing in, you're probably saving at like. 60% of your income, your net income, again, zeroing out that. So because of your incredible conservatism on those fronts, you can ironically afford to be more aggressive on the investing front to a certain degree, which I think is a, is a fun position to be in. The way I manage my cash, or you know, I, I had a similar situation arise for me a couple of years ago. And the way I kind of manage it is like, okay, I'm just going to have a pool of capital for the rental property, a pool of capital for my personal account. And whenever the account and and that number is suitably high. So you have 10 grand for personal. Let's say you bump it up to 15. Well, whenever it gets below 15, you just let your next income stream dump into it and you're still way above your 10K mark. So you're 4,300 in surplus instead of 5,000 in surplus over it. And then now you feel good. You can sweep every dollar above that into the next investment fund. That's, that's kind of how I've run it. So just, I don't think you can go wrong. These are just tips on ways potentially to harness more of your cash sooner um, with that. That's all. So should I invest that money or should I save it for the next property? That I would consider your next down payment fund investing. You're not earning a return in the immediate future, but you're you're now capitalized immediately to buy that next property. That's your investment, right? And you're you're just getting a 0% return in the first three months of the, the business hold process because it's in cash. And then you begin generating the, the higher return when you begin, when you make the investment. So yeah, I want to clarify what Scott is saying just because he's using the word investment. What he's saying is hoard that cash for your down payment, not putting it into an investment. Put it into a, a high yield savings account and earn that 0.02% interest. But if you're going to use that in the next two to, f- what is it, two to three years, Scott? If you're going to use it in the next two to three years, you need to have it in a liquid account, not invested in the stock market. Because look at last March. You put all of your money in the stock market and then March 13th happens and it is now worth 60% less or whatever the drop was. That's really scary. And yes, it popped back up. It popped back up so fast, but that's not how markets usually recover from a crash. So that was like a blip. That wasn't really a crash. But yeah, I want, I just wanted to clarify that because Scott uses all these words. I just know how he thinks. 
yeah, this is not the time to like overextend and take a crazy risk or whatever, but like you're clearly close to or currently in position to buy another rental property responsibly based on what I, everything I can tell uh, <laughs> from, from this situation. And it just depends on how ready and willing you are. Do you want to wait another few months and continue to bulk that up or do you want to go now? You, you could go now. I mean, we rarely talk to people who are, are in better position to buy their next property than you right now. That's so funny because in my head, I'm like, I only have three grand for the next property. It's going to take me a while. (laughs) You only have three grand in that bucket, but you have a lot of other buckets that could be poured into that and then just replenished. I mean, like Scott said, you have a great savings rate. He didn't use the word great. I'll use the word great because Scott said ridiculous and that's wrong. It is a great savings rate. He is right. You are very ridiculously great. Ridiculously great. You are very conservative in your projections, but that also comes from the fact that you were in massive debt in relationship to your income and in relationship to your income potential in that field. You were in massive debt and you paid that off. That's an awesome story. But I bet you were sitting there six years ago like, oh my goodness, how am I ever going to climb out of this mountain of debt? Yeah, you're an overnight success in six short years. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But that affects you. So I totally understand where you're coming from. But what sort of financial position could you be in with another, another similar duplex? Pretty good one. Yeah. Pretty good one. And- so I'm wondering if you could start reaching out to all the duplex owners. You said you live in a place that is just a bunch of duplicate duplex owners or duplicate duplexes, reach out to the owners, get a list of all the people who own but don't live there and send them a note. Hey, I'd like to buy your duplex. If you're ever interested, sell it to me. Hmm. Would you, I always kind of, I mean, I like the property I'm in. I think it's great, but I figured I would, I would get the next one somewhere else just in case. Do you believe in the area? Yes, a ton, but I, I guess I'm thinking like, well, if something happens to the area that's negative, that's, you know, all of my investments down the suffering Ooh. instead of like, I mean, I'm in Texas. We've had a lot of disasters lately. <laughs> like, Sarah, Sarah, do you believe that your business is likely to continue growing? Uh, I promise I'll tie this together in a second here. But do you, do you believe that it's likely to continue growing over the next couple of years? Hopefully, yeah, I do. I believe in it. Okay, so if if you weren't a part of that business, would it stop generating revenue, like if you stopped doing stuff? Yes. Okay, so what you have here is a business that is worth a lot of money, but only to you, right? Like someone else couldn't buy the business and continue to sustain the revenue, right? But like you've got an asset here, right, that's generating 25 grand and is highly, highly likely to generate more and more revenue each passing year in addition to your full-time job uh, with that. And so I think you inherently have diversification that you may not be thinking about in terms of your income stream that make your income very, very stable relative to the vast majority of your peers and the vast majority of maybe a lot of people out there. That was intentional. (laughs) Yeah, a $25,000 income stream like that, you know, people would pay a million dollars for that if they could feel like it's stable. Now, you obviously have to work at it, so it's not really worth a million dollars. Like, you don't have a million dollar asset right now, and you can sell it for that. But I think it gives you optionality in being very conservative or or being a little bit more aggressive with those types of things. And I think you're understating the risks of investing out of state in areas you're not as familiar with 
unless you have an area in mind, like where you used to live in. Yeah, I meant like another subdivision in the College Station Bryan area. Uh, oh, okay. I also yeah. know about. Not on the same block. Just, yeah. yeah, just not like right next to each other. <laughs> so if like a tree falls down, it hits both. <laughs> Fair. Okay, I see what you're saying. I, I, I would, but right now for my state, I'd love to have a property that was right next to the other one. That would allow me to check out both every time. And those advantages are really nice. That said, I guess a tree or a tornado could wipe out both in one stroke. But I, I think that's a fairly remote risk. That's why that you have insurance. Yeah, you're at the same market risk if you're just down, if you're just a few blocks away or a few miles away, anyways, I think. Ugh, dang, the one across the street just sold for two thirty. I probably should have snapped it up. You should have uh, snapped it up. I think. I think that would be. I don't know specifically, but that would be like I, my instinct would be to favor that over the other stuff, not knowing anywhere near the amount that you know about your little local, your local area and what and, and your block and those types of things. Yeah, I do like the idea of reaching out to all of these same duplexes and letting them know, hey, I just bought one for two thirty. dollars I'd like to buy another one. If you're interested in selling, let's talk. And if it's going to cost you two thirty, dollars with or without an agent, it's better to them to have the ag- no agent representing and then they get all two thirty dollars instead of two thirty dollars minus uh, agent commissions. So something to think about. And it only costs you a few stamps. Send a letter to everybody. Hey, I want to buy your place. Heck, I, I mean, I have the people's phone numbers. I did my due diligence before I bought the place. <laughs> Y'all are on another level. I need to get up there. I need to get past my own personal, I'm broke barriers and like, you, go you ahead and You're not broke anymore. You're, you're about to become <laughs> real rich real quick uh, with this. If you just do nothing and don't invest anything, you're going to get rich at a rate of like 2000 a month, which is 25000 annually in cash not to mention all of the investments that you're applying with it. So this is this is fun. Another thing to think about, like for your situation, if you really are this interested in getting aggressive about this stuff with the real estate side of things and considering the creative avenues is maybe you should consider getting your license uh, on the side here and investing in that. That's, that's not always the right move. But if you think you're really going to be buying another one, hey, that's three grand, four grand in the next year right there. And while you're doing that, that gives you an excuse to pad your cash position even more and feel better about that while you're while you're uh, getting the license. So that can be a potential avenue for you to explore as well. There's also the whole literally anything I do, I can film it and make money off of it on YouTube. <laughs> yeah. Well, you should because look, look what you just did. You've, you've really built an impressive position and like you absolutely should because you're helping lots of people. How many people can come on here like nobody, we have, I have never talked to somebody on the, on the money show that has gone through what you went through to get out of debt. That it's just, it's not the same. And in, in a lot of these scenarios, it's all different, but yours, I think of all the positions to start from yours would be the one that I think is least enviable. Frankly, I think like, like with the income you had and the debt you had, <laughs> I think you had the hardest, I think you were dealt the worst hand and you start out with the worst set of cards of anybody we talked to on this show. I don't know, Mindy, what do you think? You're killing her. I, think. Yeah. I don't know that I would have I phrased t- it like that. I think I so. Took it as I think a it sucked. I think it, it sucked. It had, it had to suck, right? It, like we, we it, talked oh, about yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I completely agree. And <laughs> we have talked to a lot of people who have paid off more debt, but their story isn't as impressive. And I say that, I don't try to be mean, but you had $30,000 in debt and were making $30,000 a year. Mm-hmm. It's hard to live on much less than 
$30,000 a year. You cut it in thirds or you cut it by a third and you paid a third of your income to debt and lived yeah. on two thirds of your income. That's huge. That, that's when what I mean by that. Yeah. Yeah. When you've paid off, you know, $100,000 in student loan debt in two years by making $100,000, that's a very different scenario. It's real easy to live off of $50,000. I mean, it is it for is. me. I mean, that's my day job income now. And every single month I'm like, well, what should I, what should I do with this? I should probably save it because I, I have... I'm so lucky that I have so much more than I need to live on now. I remember making $1,600 a month and having like $100 to spread across groceries for the month and uh, living in a very bad part of town. <laughs> uh, I'm going too far with that. I'm sure there are folks that had similar situations and had, a, you know, a child to look after or, yeah. or other types of things. So that is probably, I'm probably going too far with that, but you had a very tough situation that you, that you've overcome. And yeah, absolutely. Like the lessons learned, like it's just inspiring seeing what you, what you've done right now and all that kind of stuff. And I think you're ready for like the mindset pivot of like, okay, now I own assets and businesses and I'm going to scale them and look about them in terms of ROI and, and capitalization and those types of things. And how do I, reduce costs and maximize income. I love the the creative thinking around the um the mobile homes, the small homes on and the yes. on the land. That's that's a great Maybe concept. A yeah, I would not capitalize that the same way you capitalize a duplex. Like I'd put a lot more equity into that and use a lot less leverage because it's such a higher risk, less tested time tested thing than like a duplex. But that would be a, that would be awesome. I think if you, if your instinct tells you something there, that would be something to look at. And you're in position to attack it, I think. So this is fun. I'm having fun. Thank you. Yeah, you I'm, I'm, I'm reading all the books and everything. I've read you guys' books and all. And I'm trying to get in, move into that mindset. But a huge part of me is still very much that girl in the $400 a month apartment with a buttload of debt who's like, I, <laughs> what if something happens? I need, I need money. No, and I'm, I, I'm trying. Yeah. So again, I think it comes back to what is the amount that you need to feel comfortable and that could, that amount can be more. You might just say, hey, you know what? It's fifty grand, and then I'm going to feel comfortable. But peg it there, and then start playing to win with the rest of your of your accumulation would be my advice. Because you, I think you can in your position. You've got no, there's very few that you're, you're in the best position I can think of to start doing that at this point. Unless Mindy, you you think differently? No, I love the position that you're in now, and I can completely relate to the money scarcity from before position. And ultimately, you have to do what makes you comfortable. It doesn't do you any good to take our advice and go buy another property and maybe deplete some of these funds and then be up at night because you're worried that something's going to happen. That is, I mean, you can call Scott and ask him for some money then, but because <laughs> he gave you these ideas. <laughs> but, you know, it doesn't... Purposes only. <laughs> Entertainment. For the the advice that we're giving, for the the options that we're suggesting, I really do think that you should continue to look for the next property. And even if you only have three thousand dollars, you know, pull from some of these other funds to make it when you find the amazing property. I wouldn't pull from any funds for a mediocre property, but what if the one across the street lists for two ten? And it's in great shape and they didn't overspray the the cabinets and the tile doesn't make you want to vomit. If it comes on the market for 210, you want to be able to jump on that. 
You clearly yeah. saw the value in a 230. 210 is just going to be even better. So you want to be cognizant of the market. You want to be able to pounce when you can. And I think you can pounce now because your savings rate is so high, because you live on so much less than you make, you should be able to pull the trigger very quickly if something pops up. So I would continue to hoard the cash, continue to, you know, and even really all of your all of your little buckets seem pretty full right now. So unless they're all about to get emptied, I would throw all the extra cash after the TSP, TRS and uh, Roth savings. I would throw all the extra cash into your home down payment fund and see what happens in the next couple of months. I mean, the market is pretty hot, hot, hot right now. So I don't know that you're going to get one for 210 without a bidding it's war. It's a little high right now. I'm hoping I'm hoping things will lower soon. I'll, I'll admit, that's why I've been thinking about this because 44K in cash seems kind of stupid if I'm thinking real hard about it. Once I break it down, I'm like, that seems reasonable, like how much is in each bucket, but it seems like I'm probably wasting slash losing money. Yeah. Eyeballing it, I'd say like, if you said, hey, I have 30K in cash, 15 for the rental reserve and 15 for my personal reserve, I wouldn't be able to argue with that. that. That says, okay, that's how much I would capitalize a duplex of that size for because you've that will go a long way toward replacing that roof if you have that at one moment or the HVAC, you can write a check on that. And then the personal side of things, that is that is 10 months of expenses, which is a big a big reserve, but not unreasonable, not, you know, with that. And then I, I would like, that would be a, a potential number that would, you know, optically seem seem in the ballpark of it. But again, if you want more, you want more, just peg it as what's enough. And then from there, you can begin applying all the surplus to the next thing. So there's no wrong answer, but I just, I'd encourage you to start. I think you're in position to play to win. I'm looking. I have a lot of book properties bookmarked on Zillow. <laughs> all right. I think this has been really fun. Do we want to recap, Mindy? Uh, yeah, you're killing it. Good job. That's the recap. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you've got a great salary that you can live off of, more than live off of. You've got a side hustle that you can live off of with great potential. You are cash flowing your rental. And I say that because it, it the numbers aren't fabulous, but the numbers are really awesome because your living expenses are zero. Your living expenses are negative 100. So when you look at this duplex and you run the numbers as $1,700 in rent, it barely cash flows. In fact, I think it negative cash flows. But (laughs) $1,700 is also with you having a place to live. I want to completely disagree here, Mindy, respectfully. This is a huge winner. If she was renting (laughs) it out at market rent, she'd be bringing in $2,400 on a $1,500 note. Right, so even with conservative five hundred dollar capex maintenance, vacant, you know, all that kind of stuff, she's bringing in four hundred a month in cash flow on a ten thousand dollar down payment. That's a forty percent cash on cash with that, right? So this is a real winner of a property with that. It's just with your house hacking in it, your, your cash flow is in the form of not paying rent. I think so. I, I think that's how you underwrite it with your deal there. That's, yeah. No, I'm glad you disagreed with me because I ran the numbers with what she gave me, the $1,700. I didn't run the numbers as what they could be. And what is one side $1,250? The other side's $1,250. That's a way better. $1,250 and $1,250 is $2,500. That's a lot better than $1,700. That's a 
mm-hmm. killer deal. So yeah, this this is a great property. So you're killing it on the income. You're killing it on the side hustle. You're killing it on the rental property. You're killing it on the investments. I would like you to look into the 457. So when you do start crushing it on the side hustle income, you can knock down your day job income so that you can still contribute to the Roth. Because of your age, I love to see you max out the Roth from now until you can no longer max it out. And start looking for that next property because it's going to take a couple of months to find and then you'll just jump on it and be there. But I think sending letters to all the people who have owned the property that that are in your area for the la- more than three years, I would send them all a letter. Hey, I would like to buy your property. If you're ever thinking of selling, here's how you can get in touch with me. Phone number, address, email address, like all the ways to get in touch with you and let them choose the one that makes them the most comfortable. So a quick question. Because I already have an FHA loan, I can't do another one. I assumed I'd have to do a conventional at like 20% down, which is 50 grand. No? Talk to your lender. You can get it down for much. You can get a much lower down payment. Conventional goes down to 3%. I'm assuming you have excellent credit. Over 800. Ooh, la la. Yeah. So you can have a conventional loan for as low as 3% down. I've seen a lot of 5%. If you are living in the property, it is, you don't have to put down 20% or 25%. Oh, I'm thinking of investment properties, aren't I? But obviously I'd move out of the one I'm in now. And I've actually tried to run the numbers to see if it would be more responsible to like either rent or just buy another place to so I could get the full rental income out of, but that doesn't quite. That's work. right. Yeah, if you were to put down, <laughs> if you were to put down forty grand or twenty percent on one of these rental properties, you would, I think, inappropriately weak it. Wow, the sunlight is right in my eyes for those watching on YouTube. Um, th- this, this, uh, if you were to put down forty grand or twenty percent on the rental property, you would then be over leveraged, and that would be a really stressful situation with that. But you could put down three percent responsibly on the next duplex and move out and you'd have a very good shot at cash flowing with a good reserve and you'd still be able to ha- to to pack on a, a nice reserve with that. I think I think that's only probably a few months away for you from being able to do that pretty easily. I don't know why I was only thinking I was thinking for the next one I'd have to do like an investment. I guess back when I was looking at it it was like I was thinking I had to do 20%. Maybe that was for like a, a quad or a triplex or something. I don't know. No, no. If you move in, you can probably put down that very low down payment with a conventional loan, most likely. Talk to a couple lenders to verify that. But I, I'll be surprised if you can't put down 35 or 5% on an owner-occupied property with a conventional loan uh, in your area. There'll be, there might be something that we don't know that's ha- impacting your area, but that would be my belief. That makes my options a lot sooner. Yeah. Yeah. I was, so I was really thinking I needed 20% for the next one. Yeah. My, okay. my skepticism is around whether your your FHA financing will really let you move out a year after moving into the property, less than a year. That You seem confident in that, but that, that's unusual in my experience here in that. I'll check the paperwork again, but I asked that question so many times and they're like, no, you're good. You're not Fair the enough. only person I've heard say that, but yeah, I uh, tend to have the same experience Scott has. And yeah, all of my advice about getting into another property was based on you house hacking it and getting a three or 5% down loan. It was not based on the 20%. 20% down, you don't have enough money for. You would no. deplete yeah. your entire emergency fund and that would give you the heebie-jeebies. So oh, yeah. no heebie-jeebies here. <laughs> um, so yeah, that I... I love your position, and I want to talk to you again after you buy this house. I get to come on again? Yeah, we'll just have you back every three years. Yeah. <laughs> Standing appointment. 
There we go. That'll be awesome. Sarah, this was fantastic. I really enjoyed talking to you. I love where you have come. If you are listening to this episode and you did not listen to her original episode number six, it's a great episode. She shares her story. There's some tough decisions she had to make. I remember having you had a uh, baked potato party and hey, with your friends, I'll bring the baked potatoes and you bring the butter and you bring the bacon and you bring the cheese. And I had baked potato parties after that because of your episode, because that's a really inexpensive way to feed a bunch of people. So fun. And heck, if you're really feeling bougie, make it like a taco potato party. Somebody bring the meat. The the Richie. That's a good meal. We'll have Scott bring. (laughs) That that is going to be what we'll share on Instagram. That would be, be the clip right there. Uh, no, thank you guys so much for looking at this. I'm kind of the first person in my family to do anything like this. I, I lost my parents a while back, so I don't really have, I haven't really had the person who's been able to kind of pave the way or show me the path. So I've had to learn everything through YouTube and through like the Bigger Pockets forums and through, you know, podcasts and stuff like that. So I do tend to be very conservative just because I'm afraid that I'm like unaware of something that's going to ruin me. <laughs> But I I appreciate the advice and the encouragement and that you guys believe in me, and I really appreciate it. Oh, how could you not believe in you? I'm just so grateful you came come on the show twice now. And again, I think your story is just so phenomenal. I can't wait to watch the next couple of, of years. This is just going to be, you're, you're giving us a gift of really good content with this, and we appreciate it. And you're helping lots of, lots of folks in the process. So thank you. Okay, Scott, what'd you think of Sarah? I had fun. If you couldn't tell, this is this is a fun situation because she she's got all the options in the world because of the discipline and ridiculous strong fundamentals that she's put in place and sustained now for six years in a row with her spending continuing to increase her income, which is now beginning to rapidly accelerate. And like this is the story. Like if any story is repeatable, it's going to be hers to a large extent. Like the discipline she put in may not be sustainable, but. Anybody, if, if she can do it, anybody can do it, is what I'm trying to say, or, or most people can do it with this. I had so much fun. I am so impressed. I think she's so wonderful. She is. She's absolutely wonderful. And her story is absolutely repeatable. You can hear in her voice that she still carries some of that financial insecurity. And I think it's going to take her a really long time to be able to put that aside. I don't want to say get over it. I think she should always remember that there was a point in time that she wasn't able to afford most anything. She wasn't able to cash flow an unexpected expense. But I'm super excited for her future and I think it's huge. Yeah, I had a ton of fun there. Again, if you're interested, go follow her on Instagram at, at GoBudgetGirl. And she is really looking for advice on how to paint her kitchen cabinets. So that's her favorite <laughs> thing. Um, we're saying that facetiously because she got like 150 opinions on that. And I think it's funny. So go give her another opinion on that and give her a follow. And um, yeah, that's the uh, that's the big ask from us today. Should we get out of here, Scott? Let's do it. From episode 178 of the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast, he is Scott Trench. You can find him on Instagram at Scott underscore Trench. I am Mindy Jensen. You can find me on Twitter at Mindy at BP. And we're saying, gotta swish, jellyfish.
The market is changing and finding your way can be tricky. Rates shift, headlines whirl, but your goal hasn't changed. You want financial freedom and the best investors know it's not about timing the market. It's about time in the market. If you're ready to get into real estate investing or take it to the next level, finding an investor-friendly agent is your next step. With the Bigger Pockets Agent Finder, you can find the right agent in minutes. Just head to biggerpockets.com slash deals, enter a few details about what and where you want to buy, and boom, instantly matched with an investor-friendly agent who fits the bill. These local market experts can help you navigate the neighborhoods, analyze the numbers, and take action with confidence once and for all. This free resource is only available at biggerpockets.com slash deals. Get an agent, get the deal, and get closer to financial freedom at biggerpockets.com slash deals. That's biggerpockets.com slash deals to find your investor-friendly agent today. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all host and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. Bigger Pockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.